I'd like for you to open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 1. Today our text is from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Brother Ryan has already read these verses for us, so I will not take the time now to read them again. A little word about the context leading up to our text this morning. The angel Gabriel had revealed himself to Mary in a phenomenal way and had instructed her that the Spirit of God was going to do a magnificent work in her so that she would be the one that would bring forth the Messiah, the Christ child. And she was so excited and the angel had told her that also her near relative Elizabeth was also pregnant with the one that was going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And she was excited and she left and she went to Elizabeth's house and she was there for three months. And while she was there, she begins this very praise unto the Lord. This song unto the Lord. This particular verses that we're going to be looking at today is referred to as Mary's Magnificat. Taken from the first word in the Latin translation. Our translations simply say, in verse, says in verse 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. So this morning, this is indeed a song of Mary wherein she is doing that very thing. She is praising, she is honoring, she is uplifting the name of God. The word magnify here in our text means uh, to make or to declare great or to show great or simply to enlarge. You know, when we, uh, I know we have some astronomers here in our congregation. When we uh, go outside in the evening, we take out our, our telescopes, we, we, we may look at the moon or, or some other, or some planets or the stars. What are we doing? What is that telescope doing? It's not making the constellations of these planets any greater, but it mag- the telescope magnifies them to the point that we can see their glory as it truly is. This is what Mary is doing. She is praising the Lord because she has seen the Lord. And she has uh, been revealed to her what glorious plan God has for her. So she is in a spontaneous praise unto God. For she has seen the God as He truly is. And she has been given to praise Him. And she says here in verse 47, And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Are we not to be doing the same thing, especially during this Advent season that is upon us right now? The Scripture tells us, Paul's word to the Philippians, that we are to rejoice always. And Paul said, again I say unto you, rejoice, because we, brothers and sisters, we have much to rejoice about. Because God has come to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by His grace, 
according to what He has done for us on the cross, provided us righteousness and promised us a home in heaven we have overcome through the blood of the Lamb. And because of that, brothers and sisters, this is a time for us to truly rejoice in what God has done. And yet, during this particular season that we're in, for many it's a time of sadness and depression and gloom. I pray that by the grace of God as we reflect upon this Christ child and Christ in all of His glory and what He's done for us, that that gloom will be dispelled. That we might see the greatness of God and what He's done for us and that it might blow away any of the gloom that may be with us during this Advent season. This morning... We sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And you know that hymn is really a prayer unto the Lord. The writer here, there, uh, in the, in one particular stanzas, the words are, O come thou dayspring. And the word dayspring was a prophecy from Zacharias in Luke chapter 1 verse 78. This Past week, I saw a beautiful day spring. As I got up early in the morning, I looked in the east and I saw that beautiful orange glow of the sun and how that sun was dispelling the darkness and the fog of the evening. This is what our prayer is to God, that God would come to us. Emmanuel indeed has come to us and He has dispelled the darkness. Oh, come thou day spring from on high and cheer us by thy drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come to thee, O Israel. And as believers, we are the Israel of God and we can rejoice because Emmanuel has come to us. Another hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. In the third stanza, The prayer is that He would indeed come to earth to taste our sadness. He whose glories knew no end, by His life, He brings us gladness, our Redeemer, our Shepherd, and our Friend. So Mary here in verse 47 is just... Can you imagine what has happened to her? The Lord has revealed Himself to her in a glorious way. He sent His angel to, to convey unto her what is getting ready to take place. She is just overcome with joy. She's just seen Elizabeth and she is rejoicing. She is rejoicing and glorifying God concerning all that was soon to await her and the whole people of Israel. Well, the first question of the shorter catechism asks the question, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We see Mary doing this thing right here with the promise of the Christ that was to come. She's rejoicing in the Lord. She's glorifying God. In Matthew chapter 1, in verse 21, the angel had revealed himself to Joseph and said concerning the one that was to be born unto Mary, his name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. 
We just read this morning, uh, Brother Ryan read, read this morning that uh, this word was also revealed to Mary that she was going to bear one and his name was going to be called Jesus. Listen, folks, this is what Mary is also rejoicing in. Look at verse 47 again. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, that He was sending a Savior. And by the way, make no mistake about it, Mary also needed to be saved from her sin, and she acknowledges this, and rejoicing is that the Messiah has come. She's going to bear this Messiah, but He is the one that's going to save her as well from her sins. Mary was very real, wasn't she? Concerning who she was. And listen to me, brothers and sisters. We cannot offer up any praise to God. We cannot offer up any adoration to to God until we first come to an understanding of our very own condition, our true status before God. And this is what Mary does. Look in verse 48 now. She says, For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. Now Mary is not trying to espouse any false humility here before the Lord. She is speaking very factual. She says that I I am a lowly person. And she was humble before the Lord. I think there's a a great deal of shock here. Even when the Lord called forth Gideon and Gideon said, Lord, I'm the least among my people Israel. And my tribe is the smallest of Israel. You know, he was lowly. He couldn't believe that God was calling him to, to lead the army of Israel. Mary here is in a shock as well. She says, Lord, I, I am lowly. Behold who you are calling. And indeed, Mary was lowly in many ways. Her and Joseph were... Very poor. We know that because the Scripture tells us a a few verses over in Luke chapter 2 that when it came time for her to go to the temple and uh, uh, during her time of purification to offer up a sacrifice to the Lord, she only had two birds, either a pigeon or a dove, to offer up unto the Lord. And a lamb was also... um, given to offer up as well. A lamb and two uh, two pigeons or two doves. She simply only had two pigeons or doves, whatever the case may have been, to offer before the Lord. So she was in a lowly state uh, monetarily. And she says here that she refers to herself as a maidservant. That's nothing more than a female slave. But she acknowledges that she is no no one that's high and lofty, but she is a servant. And that is indeed not false humility. She is just stating the facts. But she does recognize herself as a servant. Just as the psalmist said, I would rather be a servant in the house of the Lord than to sit in the seats of the mighty. Folks, listen. Mary was a lowly child of God. And yet, certain traditions theologically have elevated Mary to a place of prominence that is so untrue and is certainly not in the Scriptures. 
Some believe that Mary herself was immaculately conceived in order that from the time of her very her very conception she had no sin in her life. But you see the opposite going on here in Mary's life. But she rejoices not in anything of herself, but she rejoices in the fact that God was going to perform a miraculous work not in her, but in the one that was going to be born from her. Look at Luke chapter 1 and verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One... Who's the Holy One? It's not Mary. Mary's of low estate. But that Holy One who is to born to be born from you shall be called the Son of God. Now, folks, listen. Mary was not immaculately conceived. She was a sinner just like all of the rest of us. By the way, this particular passage is one of the most beautiful passages in the New Testament because the word overshadow there refers to a miraculous, a mysterious work of the, that the Spirit of God performed in Mary's womb. Many theologians believe one thing that occurred there was because Mary was a sinner, how could Jesus in His perfect manhood come forth from the womb of Mary, coming from Mary, His human nature coming from Mary, how what could it be then that she was not born a, a sinner? Well, because of the miraculous work of God that the Spirit must have worked in, in Jesus' life so that He would not be tainted by the very sin of Mary. God was doing a miraculous work here in Mary's heart and he rejo- she rejoices in what God was doing. Neither was there anything in the Scriptures in regard to the assumption of Mary that Mary... It is said and is recorded in Roman Catholic history uh, that when she died, when the course of her life had ended, that she was bodily raised to heaven, bodily and soul, where she was with the Lord. That was reserved only for the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the first fruits and not Mary. It's also taught in that tradition that Mary was perpetually a virgin, that she was a virgin before, during, and after her pregnancy with Jesus. Well, that is simply not true because we read in the Scriptures very clearly that Jesus had other brothers that after Jesus was born, that other brothers were born unto Mary and Joseph. Their names are mentioned in the Scriptures and He also had sisters as, as well. So there's no truth to that as either. And then, of course, there's a notion that Mary is often referred to as the mother of God. And that is for sure a misnomer as well. Look in Luke chapter 1 and verse 43. We're going to talk about where this comes from for a few minutes. Uh, When Mary had gone to visit Elizabeth, Elizabeth was so excited... And in verse 43, she says, But why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come? Now, how, how should we read that? Should we read that like, like this? 
Why has it been granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I don't think so. I think the emphasis is clearly upon the Lord. Why has it been granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Look in verse 44. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my, in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. That's referring to John the Baptist who leaped in Elizabeth's womb. Verse 45, But blessed is she who believed, but for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her by the Lord. And then look back with me, if you will, to verse 42. Then she spoke with a loud voice and said, and again, this is Elizabeth speaking to Mary, Blessed are you among women. But here's the emphasis. How is she blessed? And blessed is the fruit of your womb. You see, the emphasis here is not upon Mary or who she is or what she's done, but the emphasis here is upon the one that she was going to bring forth. But make no mistake about it. She was not any of these things that we spoke about, but she was indeed the most blessed among women. You know, sometimes we, we as Protestants are quick to point out the fact that, that the Roman Catholic Church has elevated Mary to a place far beyond what the Scripture says. But yet, on the other hand, I think sometimes we as Protestants miss the, the blessedness that, that Mary had in her very life. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. You see, there was no other one that was chosen to be the birth mother for God's Son. She's in a class all to herself. No doubt she has been given the highest highest calling that any woman has ever been given to, to honor her. But folks, we need to understand something. This was a sovereign choice by God. He did not choose Mary because of any foreseen merit that he had in Mary. He didn't look at Mary and say, oh, she's such a, a wonderful person. She, 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 she's done this and because of who she is, I'm going to choose her to carry forth the, the Messiah. That is not true. Uh, he did not choose her simply because he looked all throughout the earth and found one of the highest caliber. Look with me in, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 28. Luke chapter 1 and verse 38. The angel, as he, the angel Gabriel, speaks to Mary and he says, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, you highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now, if we just read it in that particular text, the angel refers to Mary as the highly favored one. Doesn't that sound a little bit like. She was in a class all to herself. Well, she was, but there's a reason for that. In the original text, 
This would be better translated in like this. Rejoice because you are the one that God has bestowed His grace upon. You are favored. That, that's a synonym that God's grace has been poured out upon you. So it's not just because of anything Mary had done in and of herself. It's because the grace of God was greatly apparent in Mary's life. He goes on to say here in verse uh, 28... That it is the the Lord is the one who is with you. Excuse me, that verse is a little further down there. But you see there, He is the cause. Look at verse uh, 32. It's not Mary that is the great one, but in verse 32, He, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, He will be great. And He will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David. So Mary was not great in and of herself, but she was to bring forth one that was great. To be highly favored means nothing more that the grace of God was heavily apparent in Mary's life. Another verse that's highly misunderstood during this Advent season, look in Luke chapter 2 and verse 14. As the um, angels sang forth their praises to God, to the shepherds, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now what does this not mean? It does not mean that there's some ethereal, general uh, goodwill towards all people because the Messiah has been born. Now I want to back up now and clarify even what I said then. Because of the birth of Messiah, God does pour out His common grace and goodness to everybody because Christ has come. But what this verse truly means is that God promises His goodwill, not that God promises His goodwill towards all men equally, but rather God promises peace upon those whom God's grace and favor rests upon. Not a general nicety, but a sovereign decree that God will dispense His grace upon those that He chooses to dispense His grace upon. And we see, you know, if we turn back to Luke chapter 1 and verse 48... For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, all generations shall call me blessed. Well, what does it mean then, just from the scriptural point of view, what does it mean that Mary was to be blessed? Well, the word there in verse 28 and verse 42 is eulageo. It sounds like our word eulogy, doesn't it? This past week, President H.W. Bush passed away and many of us watched his funeral on television. And throughout the whole time, for, for a couple of days, there were many, many eulogies given in honor of President Bush. Well, that, the word eulogy simply means to bless or to praise or to speak well of. 
But there's a different word in verses 45 and verse verses 48, and that is the, the original word makarios. That, that word means uh, to be one who is supremely blessed or happy. That's the word that we have in the Beatitudes where Jesus says, blessed are such and such, blessed are, are the meek, in other words, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And let me ask you something. Were those people that Jesus has mentioned, for example, in the Beatitudes, why were they blessed? Were they blessed because they were of great noble character, far greater than others? No. Jesus is talking about those that by the grace of Christ have put on Christ and, uh, and are adorned with the fruit of God. And therefore, because of the grace of God that was to be apparent in their life, then they were blessed or they were happy. Folks, it's the same thing with Mary. Why was she blessed? Not because of any merit within herself. Because the grace and blessings of God were upon her. Now again, we see this this as a beautiful analogy. Keep your place there in Luke and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to see this same truth in Ephesians chapter 1. A very well known text to us. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. There's our word again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is He referred to as the blessed one? Because in a sense, He is the only one that is worthy to even bear this word. This blessed, the word blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings. So who are the ones that are the ones who have have been blessed? Those that have been blessed by the blesser. I don't think blesser is a correct word, but I'm going to use it here anyway. You see? Because who are the blessed? The ones that have been blessed by God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And then it begins to speak about all the blessings that God has poured upon us. Our being chosen, our being predestined, our our adoption as sons in Jesus Christ, the redemption that we have through Him, and on and on and on and on about the glorious blessings we have in the triune God. Again, who are the ones that are blessed? It's the ones that have been recipients of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, that same truth was evident in Mary's life. Mary was not chosen because she was on a higher plane than any of the rest of us. But Mary was, listen to this, she was not chosen because of who she was, but she was rewarded because of the fact that she was a faithful steward of the grace of God that God had bestowed upon her. 
Let's turn back to our text in Luke. Luke chapter 1. Now, you know, as we, as we think about what God has done here and how the angel Gabriel came to Mary in Luke chapter 1, And He told her of what was going to happen. That she was going to conceive a child in her womb. And His name was going to be called Jesus. We see here in verse 34 (laughs) that Mary asked the obvious question. Now, she did not doubt God as Zacharias did when he said to the angel, How can I know this? But Mary said in verse 34, folks, listen to me. This has never happened before again, and it never will happen again. A birth without the the aid of a man. Then Mary said to the angel, simply, how can this be? I've never known a man. See, it was a miraculous work of God. And then we looked at verse 35 about the miraculous work that the Holy Spirit was going to do with her. And then we look at verse 37. Here's the kicker, folks. Verse 37, For with God nothing will be impossible. Why do people today do not hold to the virgin birth? Because their God is too small. They do not, do not believe in the miraculous character of God. We said in our men's Bible study this past week, if you can believe Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, you don't have any trouble with all the rest of the Bible. Because we we worship a supernatural, sovereign, all-powerful God. And this is what the angel says to Mary. With God, nothing is impossible. Then look at verse 38. Mary said... What did Mary say? Well, I still don't understand how this can come about. No... She had heard the word from the angel, the word of the Lord, and she said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. So be it. You see, again, we can't even imagine what God was doing. Never occurred before. And yet Mary believed and she trusted. She was a person of unwavering faith. She trusted in the Lord with all her heart. Scripture says, For without faith, it's impossible to please God. And it was as we read the, the whole uh, narrative of Mary's life, we find out that indeed she was the most blessed among women. She was a very pious, devoted young woman of God. How was Mary? Well, she was probably... Simply just a teenager, a young woman, very young woman. But yet we see her very humble before God. We see a person that is loving God with all of her heart. And let me say something else too. Mary must have been a tremendous student of the Word of God. Because this, that's what our text reveals to us. This Magnificat that we're studying today and all these glorious truths that come forth uh, from this text. You see, the Lord could have just went like, poof! And Mary had all these thoughts from nowhere. 
in her mind as she reiterated these glorious truths here that we find in our text this morning from Luke chapter 1. But I don't think that was the case at all. No, she draws from, she alludes to or quotes from the numerous passages here in the Old Testament. She quotes from the Psalms. She speaks of Hannah's song in 1 Samuel. She records from 2 Samuel, from Isaiah, from Job, from Genesis, from Exodus, and from Micah at least. You see, the Word of God was in her heart, folks. She knew. You know, listen to me. That's what we have in the first few chapters of Luke and the first few chapters of Matthew. It was those people that were in tune with with what God was doing. Those persons that are mentioned here, Elizabeth and Zacharias, Joseph and Mary, uh, Anna, Simeon, these were the remnant of God. These were the persons that were looking into the Old Testament to see what the Messiah was going to be like when He came. And they were longing for the Messiah. They were longing for the consolation of Israel. They were the ones that had faith and trust and were longing to see the day of Christ come. They were in tune with what God was doing. She was a student of the Word of God. And then, as I mentioned here, Mary was so excited uh, after she was told what was going to happen and after the, the miraculous conception had occurred in Mary, she goes to visit Elizabeth for three months. What do you think they did? They were just making chicken soup and maybe knitting garments for little John and and Jesus that was to come. Well, they may have done that. And another thing that perplexes me as I read this text, think of it, where was Joseph? (laughs) She She just took off because she was so excited that God that had done a miraculous work in her was also working in her cousin Elizabeth. What did they do? What do you think they did? Well, you know, there's a verse of Scripture in Luke chapter 2 that may give us a little bit of an allusion to what may have occurred. I realize that so much of this is is conjecture. But in Luke chapter uh, 2, beginning with verse 16... This is the the shepherds at the manger scene. The shepherds came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Now when they had seen Him, they made it widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. All the things that the angel of God, the angel from the Lord had revealed to them, they were making it known there at the manger scene, who the Christ was and what He was going to do. And the Scripture says in verse 18, And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But what did Mary do? In verse 19, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She reflected upon them. She meditated upon the glorious thing that God was going to do through this one that had just been born unto her. Folks, I tell you what. What did Mary and Elizabeth do? That's what they did. 
They talked about the things of God. They talked about the glorious things that God was doing in relation to all that had been revealed to him. They marveled at what God was doing. It must have been a glorious time. Now let's turn back to our text. You see so much of this as we we look back to verse 48 that Mary never mentions herself explicitly, does she? The whole song, as I mentioned before, is a praise to God for what He has done, what He is doing, and what He shall do. If you look at Ephesians chapter 1, the blessings of God that are poured out upon the one who believes... We see this personal pronoun over and over and over again. He and Him referring to the One who is the dispenser of all the blessings, the only blessed God. It's all about Him and what He's done. Well, in in our text here, verses 46 through 55, we see the same thing. It's all He. It's what He has done. It's what God has done for His people. It is what God is accomplishing. So you see the whole rest of these verses that are mentioned here, from verses 49 on and on, is nothing more but a praise to God for who He is and what He's done. Look at verse 49. He is the one who is mighty. He has done great things for us. He is the Elohim, the almighty, the all-powerful God. The Scripture says uh, here that His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace from Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. In this particular verse, in verse 49, the mighty God here, no doubt, is referring to God the Father. But in Isaiah chapter chapter 9 and verse 6, the mighty God there is referring to the one who was to come, the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone was the mighty God. There also in that verse, in verse 49, she praises this mighty God as the one who is... Excuse me, absolutely holy. He alone is holy. The holiness of God is that attribute that totally distinguishes Him from anything else. He is W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy other than anyone else. In His beauty, His majesty, His brilliance, in His holiness. She praises God in verse 50 for God's continual mercy being with those that fear Him. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9, we read, Therefore know that the Lord God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps His covenant and mercy. The Old Testament word for mercy is a word that most of us know very well. It's the word hesed. And that refers to God's faithfulness or His complete loving kindness towards us. Let's read it again there. Therefore know that the Lord God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps His covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His 
Commandments. Mary praises God for God's continual mercy, His faithfulness. And then she praises God in verse 51 because of the strength of the Lord. We referred to uh, in verse 51, He has shown His strength with His arm. We see that a lot in Scripture, don't we? When God's mighty arm has been revealed, that means that He is doing a powerful work. The strong arm of the Lord is revealed. In uh, Luke chapter 1, in verse 69, the praise from Zacharias in a like manner is that and God has raised up a horn of salvation for us. There's another metaphor depicting the, the power of God. We think of a horn, we think the, of a horn of a, a ferocious animal that is all powerful because of the great horn that's on his head. That's what we see here. That God is a strong and powerful God and that God is the one who is working. You know, that's another thing that I, I've seen so dramatically in, in pouring over the first few chapters of Matthew and the first few, few chapters of Luke, that time and time again we, we read concerning Mary or Zacharias or, or Elizabeth or Simeon or whoever it is, what was going on? God's strong hand was upon them and the Holy Spirit of God was working in each of their lives and revealing them the truth of God. The Spirit of God was sovereignly working in His strength. She goes on to say there in verse 51 that He scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. We won't take time to look at all the prophecies in Isaiah concerning that, that God is the one who deposes kings and kingdoms. God is the one who raises up kings and kingdoms according to His desire. God is the one who appoints all leaders in all nations for their offices. He's the one also in verse 52 that He puts them down, even the mighty ones from their thrones. God put down a Pharaoh. God humbled a Nebuchadnezzar to the point that He made that glorious confession that it is the God in heaven who raises up kings and kingdoms. He does as He pleases in the heavens and no man can stay His hand. God is the one who brought down His successor, Belshazzar. God is the one who brought down Herod the Great. Although Herod, when he had heard that this that the Messiah has been born and he said, to tell me where the Messiah is to the Magi that I will come and worship Him. Now he wanted to kill Christ. So he had all those that are two years and younger killed throughout the land of Paris, Palestine. But guess what? God dealt with him. And he died. And then Christ, Mary and Joseph, along with the Christ child, Jesus was able to, re- to return to Nazareth. God was working. God was working with His successor, Herod Antipas, in the book of Acts. God took him out of the picture. God knows how to raise up kings and how to depose kings. He puts down the mighty. In verse 52 though, but He exalts the lowly. That's what we have here in the life of Mary. A lowly one that has been exalted before God. 
as the scripture says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due season. Verse 52, Mary praises God as the one who fills the hungry with good things. God is the great provider. He is Jehovah Jireh. He's the God who provides. Psalm 103 and verse 5 says that He satisfies the mouths of men with good things. God provides for all of His creation, all of His creatures. He takes care of the birds of the air. So He takes care of us as well. But I think here there's more than just providing for the physical needs of people. He's talking about those that are the spiritual hungry people. He provides for them. Uh, Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. He fulfills the needs of those who seek Him, those who hunger and thirst for them. Those are the ones, again, that we see here in this context of Advent when Christ was coming. Those that were looking for the Messiah. He feeds them. He reveals His truth to them. He blesses them with His truth and with His grace. But... Mary said He also sends the rich away empty. Those are the ones in this world who think that they need nothing from God. They are the ones that are content with the mammon of this world. They are the ones that are like Esau that would rather sell their birthright for a bowl of soup. They're only concerned about the physical. We read in Luke chapter 12 about the parable of the rich fool who had a surplus of goods. And he he had so many goods, so many crops were coming in, he didn't have any place to store them. So what did he say? He said, I know what I'll do. I'll just build a bigger barn so I'll have plenty. I'll have such an abundance that I won't even have to work. And he says to himself, eat, drink, and be merry. Oh, you got it made. Just relax. Be content. Have a good time. But the Lord said to him, You fool, this night your soul shall be required of you. And then I paraphrase, what's going to happen when this person dies? What does he gain from it all? Zero. He loses it all. Not to mention the fact that he loses his own soul. Jesus said that those who lay up treasure for themselves lose it all because they are not rich toward God. We who are the ones that are rich towards God have pushed away the things of this world, the things of this flesh. And we are content and happy with the things that God has blessed us with. The truth of His Word, as was Mary here. And then finally, she praises the Lord God in verses 54 and verses 55 as the glorious God who keeps His covenant. Look at verse 54. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy. 
He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed. Deuteronomy chapter 7, we read these words, The Lord God did not send His love, nor did He choose you, because you were more in number than any of the other people. For you were the least of the peoples, but because the Lord loves you, and because He would keep the oath He swore to our fathers in redeeming them with a mighty hand from the place of bondage. You see, God kept His covenant. He made a covenant to to Abraham and to his seed that He would have a great number of people. Not just to the children of Israel, but to all other nations as well. And folks, listen. If we are a believer in Christ, we are included here as one who is Abraham's seed. And you think of those when John the Baptist came upon the scene. He What did he say? He said, Do not say to yourselves that we are children of Abraham in the sense that we are just physical descendants of Abraham. Because John said, God can raise up children of Abraham from these very stones. You see. But God, in fact, does have a true people that, are, that have believed in Christ, that have trusted in Christ. These are Abraham's true seed. They're the child, child of God. They're the true Israel of God. And here we are, as we, as a seed of Abraham, are we content with the things of God and the things that God is doing? You think of those that were faithful before Jesus came the first time. How do we relate that to us now, right now as believers? Look at uh, Luke chapter 1. This is uh, Zechariah's praise to the Lord. Zacharias' praise. He praises God too in verses, verse 72 as the one who remembers His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, that we might serve Him without fear. We praise God for those times of peace that we can serve Him uh, with all of our hearts that we are to pray for those in authority, the Scripture says, that we too might live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So he praises God that He has provided a time that they might worship and know the Lord. And then in verse 75, in holiness and righteousness before Him all of the days of our life. You see, that's what God has called us to. As we wait for the Messiah, are we serious about it? then if we are, then we are going to be like this. We're going to live before Him as we, he, as we wait for His coming in all holiness and righteousness. In Second Peter, if you got your Bibles with you, I'm going to look at a few verses in closing. Second Peter chapter 3. Here we are, brothers and sisters, we too as the children of Abraham, longing for that day when Christ shall appear again. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. 
Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Peter says essentially the same thing as Zacharias said. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look forward to a new heavens and a new earth in which dwells righteousness. Verse 14, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent and be found by Him in peace without spot and blameless. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we reflect upon Your glory and what You have promised from of old to the prophets and to the patriarchs and what You revealed to Mary, oh God, You have done great things. With You, nothing is impossible. We praise You, Lord, for sending this One, the Lord Jesus Christ, that offers to us grace and the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we we give You praise for what You've done. And Father, we pray here that as we reflect upon this season of Advent, this Christmas season, I pray that there's anyone here who does not know the Christ of Christmas, that they might take heed, that they might hear from You, O God, that they might understand the One who has come, the, the Christ, the Messiah, And that they might turn from their sins and repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that they might have forgiveness from You, O God. And then and only then can they truly rejoice in who You are and what You've done. Father, throughout the remainder of this season, I pray that we will reflect much upon Your glory and what You've done in behalf of Your people. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Let us uh, stand together.